Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus, the leading podcast focused on transformation and change in the higher education space. On today's episode, we speak with Anissa Vega, who is Associate Vice Provost of Curriculum and Academic Innovation at Kennesaw State University. Anissa and podcast host Amira Lawalia discuss aligning continuing education and academic affairs with micro-credentialing and the model Kennesaw State has implemented to help learners' career development. Anissa Vega, welcome to the Illumination Podcast. Great to be chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're uh, we're in Washington D.C. We're at the Upsia Acro Convergence Conference, and uh, I was at you know this is it's a really fun topic for for me to get to talk to you about. Um, and obviously, anyone who's at the conference, it's going to be too late to hype up our session now. Uh, <laughs> but we're doing a, a session on on this topic later in the week about the idea of aligning continuing education, academic affairs around the topic of micro credentialing. And in fact, that's how you and I met. That's right. Uh, we were at a one ed tech digital credential summit, you were doing a presentation about how yeah, not to toot our own horn, how you're using a modern campus product to create some level of alignment internally around micro-credentialing. It wasn't a use case that anyone had really thought of uh, from our org before. And, and mm-hmm. it, it really sparked a, an interesting conversation around how you start to bring these two worlds together. I am curious, what sparked your interest in micro-credentialing? Well, it actually started in 2017. As a professor, I was providing teachers with training in personalized learning. Uh, but this training wasn't tied to any licensure associated with teacher um, education. And so it also wasn't enough training to create a degree or a certificate. So I wanted to find a way for these teachers who had completed this training and had this new skill set to help them share and communicate you know, that they had this skill set. Mm-hmm. And so that's where micro-credentials sparked my personal interest um, and, and then it, it moved further um, when I went into administration. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, so your, the world of micro-credentialing really started to open up from the faculty development side as opposed to, to a, student, a new approach to student engagement. Well, it was K-12 teachers, so it was mm-hmm. our students. Oh, sorry. Okay, I it, understand. It was our students. Yeah. But. That's so interesting. Now, you've obviously, as I mentioned, you've, you've worked to create this repeatable process that standardizes micro-credential offerings and establishes consistency and clarity on what the rigor of micro-credentials are, what they actually mean. What were some of the warning signs or some of the indications that that preparatory work was necessary? Yeah, so our provost had asked us to select a, a single micro-credentialing software because mm-hmm. we had multiple units across campus using different providers. And um, immediately we did an assessment of who was offering micro-credentials, what were they about, and what platform were they using. Right. And in that process, we saw <laughs> an amazing variation across campus. And we noticed that we, we couldn't identify the value of any of them um, because the variability wasn't well communicated within the micro-credential itself at that time. Right. How does that happen? How does, <laughs> how does a, a, an environment become that diverse? Well, I think it's related, especially in higher ed, to um, a lot of independent activity that takes place in individual colleges or mm-hmm. individual departments. Uh, faculty have a lot of authority to initiate uh, a new uh, curriculum, 
uh, a new degree program or perhaps a micro-credential. And since they have that authority, uh, you find that they do exactly that. But their perception of what a micro-credential is varies. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the micro, I don't want to call it a microcosm, maybe that's not right. The university is pretty <laughs> large, 43,000 students. But, but even our community had vast variability, and it was very reflective of the industry itself and how across higher ed understanding of what micro-credentials are and what should be micro-credentialed and valued as a micro-credential was, was just wild and decentralized, and there was no um, common rules or standards. Mm -hmm. And what's the outcome of that? I mean, what impact were you seeing it having on student understanding, on employer understanding, even internally within the institution? Well, it, it left no understanding right. for any of the stakeholders, <laughs> yeah. um, except the individual who's awarding the micro-credential themselves. They were the only, it, it tended to be that they were the only ones who really understood uh, what the value was to students and employers. Right. And so um, we really needed to come together with a common standard. Absolutely. And so let's speak a little bit about that process. I mean, how did you go from, uh, this is such an overused term, the wild west of micro-credentialing yes. Kennesaw. <laughs> how did you evolve from that, that space that was so diverse, so confusing, to one where there was a level of commonality? Well, so that assessment that we had done, and we realized great variability that we had on campus, we immediately realized we needed to categorize the type of micro-credentialing that was happening on campus. And with that, our first task was really to build a taxonomy. That taxonomy kind of provides the blueprint for uh, what a micro-credential should include, um, or what it should take to earn a micro-credential. And so that started to set a common standard across campus. Absolutely, and, and how, how did you get buy-in for that? Who, who needed to be in the room? Who needed to be involved? Where did the proposals come from? Could, I, can you give us a little bit more color on, on what this process looked like? So the task force that was um, putting together the taxonomy as well as the, the process for micro-credentialing all had representatives from the groups that were already awarding micro-credentials. Okay. So luckily in that sense, Kennesaw took this on early enough that it wasn't a body of 100 people on a yeah. task force. It was, it was about a dozen people on a task force. So that was doable. Um, and then that representation really helped smooth the process of bringing their units on board to the new standard that we were setting. And the other folks on campus were not necessarily engaging um, at that point. Oh, interesting. It wasn't, okay. it, it wasn't proliferated throughout the campus. And so it was little pockets right. all over campus. And so just by engaging those pockets to help make the rules and set the standard, they were the ones who were likely to resist Right, because right. so, they already had something. Because they already had yeah. something, right? And so involving them in the process of developing that taxonomy and the process that we would use, such that they could see their own micro-credentials reflected in it, um, would, would work. Absolutely. How, how did you guys create a rule structure that was actually enforceable? Um, because you know you, you spoke right off the top about the, the tendency for there to be a level of, of autonomy, especially when it comes to um, the academic space and, sure. and the capacity for faculty to to really own the academic product, especially in a space that's not necessarily accredited. How did you manage to to create and enforce a set of rules that folks have, have really taken to? 
They have, yes. So one of the things we did was we only had one micro-credentialing platform on campus. Mm -hmm. um, no one was allowed to purchase additional micro-credentialing platforms. Um, another thing that we did was we implemented our curriculum review process. So there was uh, a place to submit your idea for mm -hmm. a micro-credential. It would be reviewed by your peers as to whether or not it met the standards that the institution had set. Uh, and then um, one piece that's been really important is that the coordinator of our micro-credential is one person on campus. Mm -hmm. Only one person can, she can give access to grantors. And by managing the grantors, um, we, we don't have new grantors popping up. And in addition, the grantors sign an agreement that they will follow Sure. Uh, you know, our standard and process for any additional micro-credentials that they want and that they will award micro-credentials with integrity. That's such an interesting model. I think this is where a lot of, where the wheels can fall off the bus occasionally. Mm -hmm. is, you know, a lot of work can go into building a taxonomy, building a clear model for credentialing, understanding what goes into the, what should go into the rigor. But then when push comes to shove, if someone wants to offer a certificate in, in nail clipping, right. they'll go ahead and do it. Correct. Yeah. Um, so that that's that is very interesting. So now, it was a limitation yeah. of their ability to access the platform to mm -hmm. create new micro credentials. That's that's really what we. That was the enforcement. That model. was the enforcement model. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If you can't offer the micro credential, <laughs> it becomes really difficult to make up a micro credential. Correct. Yeah. Um, now, a, a secondary piece of this, of course, is the the student experience, uh, and especially when serving a non traditional learner, the the expectations they have for the administrative experience and bureaucratic experience of the post-secondary institution be very different than what a traditional a traditional student expects. Mm -hmm. So how did you and, and the rest of the team in academic affairs maintain the collaborative lines with the team in continuing education to ensure that there was a delivery of a consistent high-quality academic experience, but also the delivery of that more consumer-oriented student experience? Sure. So one of the first things we did was that um, I actually co-chaired that, ta that original task force with the dean of our continuing and professional education group. And so um, they were involved heavily from, from the very start. In addition, because our micro-credentials focus on the competency and the, uh, the expertise of the individual verifying that competency, mm -hmm. we don't uh, really critique the learning experience. It, and that's in our review process. So when a proposal is submitted, they can provide background information about what the learning experience is expected to be or what it might cost students. But we're not judging their micro-credential proposal based off of that. We're looking for alignment between their assessment, the competency, and the expertise of the individual verifying those expertise, those competencies. And so what that does for our continuing professional education is they can focus on designing the learning experiences that work for their students. They can make the business case for micro-credentialing so that they can balance their budget and determine what's the best thing for them. Mm -hmm. And so they can approach it in the way that attracts students into that environment um, because the learning experience and designing that is owned by CPE or continuing professional yeah. education. That's so interesting. So the micro-credential model that you have in place is largely oriented around a, or tied to a, a, a competency structure. Correct. 
How does that change the broad approach that's being taken to program assessment at, at Kennesaw? Are you seeing that mentality start to find its ways into maybe more traditional programs? I love that question because um, our office, I, I, I provide oversight of curriculum, but I work very closely with um, our AVP of assessment. And we've been talking about our program student learning outcomes, and we've been realigning those across campus to match workforce skills. We've been using tools like Lightcast and others um, to help identify what those skills are. And in the process, we've noticed, well, perhaps we should be micro-credentialing these program student learning outcomes. And so we're in the process of planning how we want to encourage and work with programs to do that. Um, we think we'll probably incorporate it into our academic program review process, mm -hmm. which is a you know a five to seven year cycle academic review. And our hope is that students, you know, when they leave an academic degree program, that they'll have this collection of micro credentials that align with their program student learning outcomes. Right now, though, it has been challenging to get faculty in the academic space on board. They're excited. Mm -hmm but to put in the proposal and, and, and to do that piece, we, we just have a few who are jumping in there. They're enthusiastic and that's great mm -hmm. and they'll be our champions moving forward, mm -hmm. um, but, but I think there's more to come in well, this space. Like any innovative concept, it'll yes. take, take a little while to really. Exactly. I am curious as well, as you guys are formalizing um, a, a competency-based credentialing model in, in the micro-credential space, how is it influencing the way the university thinks about credit for prior learning or prior learning assessment for students transferring in? So we've recently been revisiting our credit for prior learning to see how we can uh, make it easier to access and uh, a smoother process and to also encourage faculty to offer uh, challenge exams or portfolio reviews for credit. We see that the, the micro-credentials themselves could also support this process, but specifically because our level two badges require that the evidence is attached to that micro-credential. And because the evidence is attached, a student, theoretically, we haven't had anyone do it yet, can submit their micro-credential, a level two badge, to our CP, our Credit for Prior Learning office, for that evidence to be re-reviewed by a Kennesaw State faculty mm -hmm. member. And that's for any micro-credential that has evidence, right? right? If it matches the learning outcomes of the course and shows competency in those outcomes, mm -hmm. then that student shouldn't have to take the course. They've already mastered that content. Absolutely. I mean, I love the concept of starting to shift at a university level to competency maps and looking at competency maps in this very the very clear way because as you start to think about competencies and you can start to think about lateral movement between mm -hmm. programs and, and create a more interdisciplinary learning experience I, I i now we've talked about the level level two mastery of uh, badging that you have in place and i feel like uh if now folks want to learn more about the badging model at kennesaw obviously look up anissa's article uh that she's written for the evolution that walks through it but and not to put you on the spot could you briefly walk us through the the micro credentialing model that you have in place at, at what's at a very high level kind of what's required sure. at each level so our lowest level is a souvenir and this visually looks very different, looks very simple, and it represents participation, engagement, and it's really for an internal audience at Kennesaw. Students like to stack these 
souvenirs and 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 maybe get some credit mm-hmm. in a class for a grade for attending so many events or something like that. Then the level one badges are uh, about introduction to a skill, practicing a skill, but it hasn't been done in an authentic work-related way, right? And so students, the assessment for for level one badges may be tests and quizzes or papers, things like that. Then we move to the level two badge. The level two badge is supposed to represent competency. So we uh, have an assessment that looks like a real-world example, a simulation, something that can, that clearly shows the student's competency can transfer into the workplace. And then our uh, level one and level two badges, we do have special badges. We call those uh, badges of distinction, I believe. And those are supposed to be rare. So maybe you're awarding to your class a level one badge, but one student exceeded expectations above you know, what you had set as well as all their classmates, mm-hmm. right? And so you really want someone to stand out. You can award them that uh, level one badge with distinction, right? And at level two, uh, we just had our uh, annual pumpkin launch at Kennesaw where engineering <laughs> students design catapults. You know, so all the students who design catapults can get a level two badge and they'll attach images and videos of their catapults to the level two badge. But the students mm-hmm. who who won, who launched their pumpkins the furthest, can get that badge level two of distinction. Hmm. And then students can stack their badges to be a collection of competencies to create a digital certificate. Absolutely. Well, I mean, what are, as you think about the, the process that you and your team went through of developing and launching a badging infrastructure, a, a rather a broader micro-credentialing infrastructure, creating an ecosystem within which people are, are operating and, and are adapting the way they work, what are some of the most common pitfalls that you'd anticipate other academic affairs leaders might run into when they look to expand their own institutional approach to micro-credentialing? Well, one pitfall I would say is waiting too long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because those little microcosms of micro-credentialing on your campus are going to proliferate with mm-hmm. time. There's going to be interest. And you're going to have a situation where you've got a large group of people who are doing micro-credentials in their own ways and don't want to come on board with your common standard. And so starting early before that's proliferated, I think is is really helpful, especially in a traditional higher education environment where shared governance is uh, a major component of our of how we function. Um, starting early, that's that's something that I think is really important. I would say moving towards having a governance model as well as a means to get employer input and your curriculum. I think I've seen a few institutions get stuck at the curriculum and not really move out of that. You know, starting with a few skills, designing those micro-credentials, awarding those micro-credentials, but now what? Yeah. Well, and, and then it's, well, let's think of more skills, right? And so it's still this small group of people responsible, and you can't scale that, right? And the governance structure is what lets you scale it, and the employers are what helps make it relevant and valuable. So um, we know curriculum in higher ed, and we are ready to produce and, and 
make those uh, experiences and um, design those badges, but we can't get stuck there. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, on the topic of collaboration, because that is, um, in fairness, the theme of the conference. Um, what are some of the keys to the collaboration that you and your team established with the uh, Continuing Professional Education Unit to ensure that this process was, again, consistent, cohesive, and, 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 and really appreciated by all sides? Well, I think from the beginning, including their voice throughout the process in developing what this centralized governance structure is going to look like, involving them in that centralized process. And there was even a point where their dean was the final approver um, on behalf of the provost for the micro-credentials. We've swapped out those roles, mm -hmm. so um, it hasn't remained with, with their office. But we've also collaborated very closely with our career development office as well. And so leadership in their office, leadership in continuing professional education, and leadership in academic affairs. We work together to keep that system moving, to get the uh, approvals through, to you know work with the coordinator to get them built, to enforce the model, and, and just engagement in the process. Absolutely. Well, Anissa, that, that pretty much does it on my end. The way we like to end every podcast, as you know, uh, is to pivot to being a food podcast. So I Love am it. curious, uh, <laughs> if someone's out to dinner in Atlanta, which in fairness, pretty popular conference town, mm -hmm. where should someone go for dinner? So uh, I'm partial to my side of town, my part of town. I live in Marietta. And I'm going to give you two, right? Mm -hmm. For dinner, spring. It's a lovely restaurant, chef-made food. Um, absolutely delicious, and I highly recommend, you know, any of their steaks or the like. And then the other, because I love breakfast foods, breakfast foods are my favorite, uh, I'm going to recommend the Crooked Tree Cafe, and that's got, uh, it's, you know, family-owned, I want to say hole in the wall, but it's a, it's a cute, uh, a cute restaurant, and um, they've got great southern breakfast foods, and um, every time I go there, I am full and rolling myself out. <laughs> yeah, that is high praise. <laughs> and their jam is incredible. So he makes all his homemade jellies and jams there and sells them. So I always pick up two or three jars. And what I love about his jam is it still has like a tartness oh, to yeah. it. Instead yeah. of everything at the grocery it's like store sweet. is yeah. too sweet. And he leaves that tartness in all of his jams and jellies. Oh, that is So I awesome. highly recommend visiting them and picking up a couple of jars of jelly. I'm frustratingly hungry at this point. It is a thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you for having me, Amrit. This podcast is made possible by a partnership between Modern Campus and The Evolution. The Modern Campus Engagement Platform powers solutions for non-traditional student management, web content management, catalog and curriculum management, student engagement and development, conversational text messaging, career pathways, and campus maps and virtual tours. The result? Innovative institutions can create learner-to-earner lifecycle that engages modern learners for life, while providing modern administrators with the tools needed to streamline workflows and drive high efficiency. To learn more and to find out how to modernize your campus, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.